This is Let's Talk to Lucy, starring Lucille Ball. A very warm welcome to you all. I'm Gary Morton, and now, let's talk to Lucy. Hi, this is Lucy. And Gary and I have as our guest today, composer Ernest Gold. His musical score for the motion picture Exodus won him an Academy Award, and I think you will find his frank opinions and views of the musical world very interesting. Ernest, you have undertaken a wonderful, interesting project that I'd like to know more about. You have organized the first senior citizen symphony orchestra in this country, maybe in the world. How did that come about? Well, it was a very interesting experience. One day I received a call from Mayor Yorty's office, and he said that they were making plans and they had hopes to organize an orchestra specifically uh, staffed by senior citizens. You see, sometimes people think that the senior citizens' orchestra is one for them, but it is actually composed of senior citizens, and the youngest member is 53. Actually, 50 is the, age, the lower age limit, with people up to about 80. Well, uh, when Mayor Yorty asked me to function as conductor, I was very excited about it, because when I first came to Hollywood back in 45, that same idea occurred to me then, except I was in no position to implement my desire to work with such an orchestra at the time. But meanwhile, of course, the whole idea of senior citizens has become one which is much talked about, much in the forefront. And as a consequence, we managed to get ourselves organized very quickly, and we're rehearsing every Friday. I think it's just wonderful, and, and that's one of the things that I heard about you, Mr. Gold. I just thought it was the most exciting thing I'd heard in some time. I know that... Um, all of the experience you've had throughout the years has uh, contributed to being able to do this. Has most of your experience been here in this town? Well, uh, I would say most of it has. As a matter of fact, a good deal of my musical education even took place right here. I've been in Hollywood now since 1945, and uh, most people don't realize it because I spent the first 13 or 14 years, what I like to call, rehearsing. I was doing Don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> well, it, it's a good thing. I think that uh, good preparation and not being too much in a hurry to become too successful too fast pays off in the end because you know what you're doing when you get the chance. Yes, that's and, so true. Uh, well, uh, gradually, uh, I started doing other things too in addition to doing my picture scores. And they did quite a bit of conducting for a long time. And it all, of course, comes in very handy now with the Senior Citizens Orchestra. Yes, I'm going to ask you a lot of questions about all phases of your business. And, but first, let's get back to the Senior Citizens. Sure. And I've, I'm so happy that Mayor Yorty requested this, first of all. I think it's a marvelous idea. Is it being carried out throughout the country, do you know? I have no idea. I understand that this is the first Senior Citizen Symphony Orchestra. There are some other groups in different parts of the country, various parts, but they are not of symphonic orientation. Mm -hmm. But Where uh, does this emanate from? Just the Los Angeles area? It is, it is the Los Angeles area. Since we have a weekly rehearsal, of course, we are confined to players that can attend the rehearsals. Where did you find your musicians? Well, we're still in the process of looking for them, as a matter of fact. We have at this time about 40 musicians, and I would like to bring it up to full strength of perhaps 80 or 90. Mm -hmm. There's a, a curious kind of communication among the senior citizens. It's like a grapevine. For instance, uh, at one point I announced we would play a certain work requiring certain instruments, and without anybody doing anything, people showed up at the next rehearsal. With the instruments? With the instruments. That's, a, that's just marvelous, you see. They haven't been 
sort of wanted or needed before, and now they, it, this must be a great, great thing. It's a marvelous experience uh, for me, certainly, because the enthusiasm and the punctuality of these people is incredible. Oh, yes, you're not going to have any trouble with the uh, goof-offs in that group. Not at all. When do you think it will be uh, in readiness? Well, we have given one concert, which was a sort of a coming-out concert, on the steps of the city hall, complete with traffic going by and wind blowing down the music, but they played beautifully. They'll play anywhere. And we are planning, we are planning a concert at the Shrine Auditorium, but this is still a long ways off and a lot of work will have to be done because who knows, maybe the traffic was helped covering up some of the minor clinkers. <laughs> well, I don't think that will matter. I think it's the enthusiasm that they have that's going to be the important thing. Do you do all of the um, conducting? I do most of it, but I have a marvelous assistant, uh, Mr. Charles Ross. is a young man. He just called me up out of the clear and asked if he could come. I said, sure, and I tried him out, and he's marvelous with them. I have no worries about the orchestra or anybody when he conducts. He's Isn't really great. great. Who's going to uh, contribute to this only through your uh, concerts? concerts. concerts. We, are, we are at the moment uh, in a position where we must make a decision whether we want to incorporate as a nonprofit organization, and I think we will... Uh, go that route, and as a matter of fact, we're trying to interest a uh, well-known uh, name soloist to appear with us, and then the Shrine concert will be our own benefit, and of us will try to lift ourselves up by our own bootstraps. I think that's best. I think that's wonderful. You let me know if I can help, will you? I certainly will. Thank you. Ernest, speaking from your experience as a film composer and a serious composer, is it true that there is a great deal of, I hate to use the word, but snobbery? in the serious music circles against the Hollywood composer? Well, I certainly can, I would say, almost prove that point because the very fact that I am a Hollywood composer is owing to that snobbery. You see, back in the early 40s, I wrote a piano concerto, which was very frankly influenced by some of the music then prevalent in pictures, which I enjoyed and liked. And the New York critics, it was played at Carnegie Hall in New York, simply lambasted me that they wanted to call me the worst name that they could think of, so they called me a Hollywood composer, though I had never set foot on Hollywood. Mm -hmm. And I decided if that is what I was, why wasn't I in Hollywood? <laughs> oh, that's wonderful. <laughs> and I came out here, and I showed this particular work to Maurice Stoloff at Columbia, and he was delighted. He said, why, well, you're a Hollywood composer. And With another connotation. <laughs> totally different, and he gave me my first picture to do, and this is how I got started. He's a fine musician and a very oh, old friend of mine. You never met Mr. Stoloff, did you, Gary? No, I was going to ask Ernest if I could apply for a trumpet player position <laughs> in his uh, senior citizen's orchestra. You're going to have to wait a little while, dear, and you're going to have to practice, I can tell you that. Uh, I was curious. Ernest, every time I go to a motion picture, I always want to know how you actually compose for the picture. How do you do that? Uh, do you watch the film with no sound? or Which well, comes first, Which mean? comes first, the, the chicken music or the or egg? The music of the film. Well, is the music the chicken or is the music the egg? The way it actually works is like this. The picture has to be totally finished, and it is all ready to go except for the music by the time I get it, because the music naturally must fit the action, and it must is made to measure, say, like a suit. You cannot uh, ask a tailor to make a suit without having a man there to take the measurements and to fit it to. And similarly, 
the music for a picture is written to the finished picture so that uh, everything may fit. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so the music is the very last thing uh, that is added to the picture before it, the final print is made. Do you uh, conduct the orchestra while the picture is being shown, let's say, in the recording studio? Oh, yes. The picture is projected as you conduct the orchestra because that is the only way you can really tell if everything fits the way it should be. And see, then you can immediately project the picture a second time and play the recording along with it and check that everything works out because some minor things sometimes you cannot anticipate. For instance, there may be a particularly loud note just under an important line of dialogue and disturbs it. Mm. And uh, the only way you can check it is to then uh, turn into a movie audience, as it were, for that particular scene and look at the scene with the music and see whether it's uh, all right or whether some change needs to be made. This is so interesting to me because I don't think millions of people are aware of how great a part music uh, plays in their emotions while they are looking at something. I don't think they're aware, and, and they shouldn't be. It's quite true. And they're really not aware of what a great part it plays. Ernest, I see that our time has run out for today, but I, I got dozens of other questions I want to ask you. It's so interesting. Could you do this again with us tomorrow? I certainly, I'd love to. Thank you very much. Please be with me again tomorrow, ladies and gentlemen. Bye now. Hi, this is Lucy. Yesterday, my guest was Academy Award-winning composer, Mr. Ernest Gold. Time ran out before we had concluded our talk, so I invited Mr. Gold to be my guest again today. And thank you for coming by well, again today, hello Ernest. Again. Hello again. Now, we've got a lot of other things we want to ask. Yesterday, we were talking about which comes first, the chicken or the egg, the film or the music, and you were telling us how they do the film first, usually, in, in the kind of work you're doing right now, and then you apply the music to it. Was this true in Exodus? Certainly. The Exodus theme was so marvelous, so great, I just had a feeling that it was written before the book and everything. Well, in a sense, it was written before. You see, Exodus was a somewhat different problem insofar as on any picture made by Otto Preminger, he always likes to compose it to go along with the company on location, study the music and be part, uh, study the music of the locale, I mm -hmm. meant, and be part of the whole production process. Leon Uris felt the same way about that, I know. It was a marvelous way of doing it, and I had about 10 weeks in Israel and uh, Cyprus to study and to sketch, and by the time I got the picture in sufficiently edited form to really start composing, I had already a great big thick book of themes. As a matter of fact, I used actually in the picture 11 themes out of 33 hmm. that I had sketched. And as an amusing footnote, I thought that the Exodus theme, which eventually became so successful, was the worst of the bunch. Really? And I was very discouraged Why? about it. I wanted to express something, and I just felt uh, that the theme itself fell way short of what I wanted to do. Oh, my. And Everybody thinks it's so marvelous. I always had a feeling it was recorded in the Grand Canyon. Well, it was recorded in a place almost as cold as Grand Canyon can be, namely on the uh, recording stage at Shepparton Studios without any heat. Oh, I think <laughs> that <London>. helped. <laughs> no but the uh, main title for which the theme was actually written wasn't ready, and this was one of the great exceptions where I had to fly blind. I had to write a theme guessing at the length of the title, and the title was afterward made to fit the picture, but this was purely because of mechanical difficulties in not being able to get the title done in time. And of course, I wrote the score before I ever wrote the title music. You did I've, the whole thing yourself. Excuse me, Gary. Uh, I've heard so many variations of Exodus, from the Johnny Coltrane and the jazz version to what amazed me is the incongruity, how a popular singer wrote the lyrics to it, and that was Pat Boone. Mm -hmm, that's right. Did you get with Pat Boone to write, or did he just call you and say, I have 
lyrics I think would be good for Exodus. Uh, I did get a phone call, but not from Pat Boone. I got a phone call from a friend who said, uh, do you realize that there is a lyric for it? I just heard it on the air. And I, I was totally unaware of the whole thing until the song was actually on the air. Well, I think it worked out beautifully, though, because I do think the lyrics are great for your score of mm -hmm. Exodus. I didn't really know honest. about Pat Boone. That's a whole other story. I, I'm amazed to find that out myself. Well, I didn't realize that he wrote lyrics at all. What are some of the other motion pictures that you've written music for, Ernest? Well, going backwards, the last one I did was It's a Mad, 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 Mad World. Oh, did you do that? Yes. That was a, probably the most difficult job I ever undertook. Why? Oh, it was full of notes and full of fury and sound at all times. There was just no let up. Mm -hmm. And uh, other scores I've done was On the Beach and uh, Inherit the Wind. And, of course, the next one I'm going to do is Ship of Fools for Stanley Kramer. Oh, that's great. You certainly get the big, long jobs, don't you? I do, I'm afraid. And he's very happy about it. You can tell the way he smiles. Yes, of course. What instrument do you play? Well, if I'm serious about it, I should say the orchestra. If I'm facetious about it, I should also say the orchestra. I'm a lousy pianist. <laughs> I can play just uh, well enough uh, for my own purposes and to demonstrate my music, but I couldn't play professionally. And so I compose and conduct. It's amazing, isn't it? At what age did you start? On what instrument? Well, I first started on the violin when I was about six, and I couldn't stand my own scratching, so I had to <laughs> give it up. And then I started when I was about uh, eight on the piano, but being rather a lazy hound, I suppose, I didn't do much practicing, and so I had to become a composer. <laughs> Is that all just the violin and the piano? <clears throat> That's right. Anyone else in your family? Musically minded? Well, my father is a very fine violinist and uh, composer, but uh, strictly on an amateur level. He never practiced it professionally. And both my grandparents were trained pianists and composers, again, as amateurs. But it sort of come down on my head from both sides, and I was the black sheep to become professional. But they uh, did contribute a lot. Oh, to very your... much so. It was a great influence on me when I was a, a child, naturally. Yes. They're applying themselves the way they did, gave you mm -hmm. the incentive and taught you how. And they took a great interest in what I did. I showed them my compositions and they would play some of my things and make suggestions. So it was, it was a family activity almost. Oh, isn't that marvelous. Are you married? Yes, I'm married. Do you have any I children? I have three children. What ages? My oldest boy has just become a teenager. His name is Andy. He's 13. Then I have a daughter who's 11. Her name is Martha, and she has gotten me interested in horseback riding, of all things, at this stage. <laughs> and then uh, we have a little one. Her name is Melanie, and she's just two. Do you uh, think that any of them will be in the musical world at all? I don't think so. Andy is very musical, and he's very interested, and he plays the drums, and he plays the piano, and does a little composing, but he wants to be a, an actor. That's the well, one that's thing. this year or this week. No, That'll this, change. this has gone on now for several years, and when he comes in the recording stage, he's much more interested in the script changes that have been made and in the reading of lines than what I do with the orchestra. Sounds like our son. Yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, he's, he's the oldest, right? He's the oldest. We have a daughter, 13, and a boy, uh, almost 12. He plays the drums. Mm -hmm. He doesn't know anything about composing, but I think from... I bet you, I'll bet you that it changes in the next few years. I'll bet you that he respects what you're doing after a couple of more years. Well, I must confess that he told me he thought it was a square. Yes, well, well they all think we're square. That's because of, does he cut his hair? I just 
say that because our little boy has How hair. did you know? Oh, how did you know? Has it gone through the same thing? He is, he is, uh, Ringo, the, the real Ringo. Ringo. Yeah. And how? I took my little boy to a barber a few weeks ago, little Desi, and I said, now this is not a regular barber that cuts hair. He'll design. He'll make a hairstyle that'll always look, mm -hmm. that you can be Ringo if you want one time, and you can have it nice for school so the teacher doesn't say you go home. Yes. And the barber got through and tears came down his eye. It was like his first haircut and he's going to be 12 years old. He said, well, he's pretty good for you, but not what I wanted. Look how short it is. And it went past his eyes. He wanted it down further. <laughs> so now that's been five and a half weeks. And I said, how about a haircut? It's getting a little ridiculous. He says, I'll work it out. I'll let you know when I'm ready for a haircut. That's what happens with all of them. You're lucky. At least your voice talks to you. Mine won't even consider discussing it. <laughs> well, I don't think ours would either if the school hadn't put their foot down. One of the fathers at the school said, you'll not even serve mass. You won't do this until you get your haircut. Ernest, what are the opportunities for any young American who aspires to becoming a serious composer or conductor? What are the opportunities? Well, the opportunities strictly as a serious composer or a symphonic conductor are very small. Now, for instance, if you have a symphony, you're perhaps getting a $50 a performance fee for each performance, and if you can roll up four major performances of a modern symphony in one year, this is a phenomenal success. Yet it's liable to cost you a thousand dollars or more even to get the music ready, so it can be performed in the first place. This is very discouraging. What do we do about a thing like this? I wish I knew. All I can say is in practice what happens that composers are forced to either make a living by teaching or by writing books or selling insurance. You know, this is why we encourage our children to have their little, what you call them, groups, uh, combos. Yes. You know, combos, even though groups, they're trios. sliding around with their silly rock and roll and all that, but at least it keeps their interest in music mm -hmm. up, and perhaps the picture will change one of these days so that they can make a living. Not that we want our children particularly to be musicians at the moment, but to keep their interest in, in music, we've got to make it fun for them, haven't we? Of course. Ernest, our time is up again today. Will you come back? I still have some questions I want to ask you. Certainly, I'll be glad to. Thank you so much. I've been talking to Mr. Ernest Gold, a very wonderful composer, an Academy Award winner, got an Academy Award for Exodus. I hope you've enjoyed uh, our little talk today, and I hope you'll be with us again on Monday. Bye. Hi, this is Lucy. Our guest again today is Academy Award winning composer, Mr. Ernest Gold. Thank you very much for coming by again today, Ernest. Friday, we were talking about the difficulty of making a living as a composer and how young people today really don't have a great incentive for getting into the serious music world. But the very fact that there are so many young people's symphonies all over the country and a growing interest in serious music leads me to believe that perhaps things aren't quite as bad as we think. And, of course, your work in starting a senior citizen's orchestra seems to indicate that this interest is blossoming on all fronts. Your Academy Award for Exodus and your nominations for On the Beach and Mad, 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 Mad World, these certainly are all great incentives for a lot of people to try to get a job in serious music. Now, when you work in a studio, you must have lots and lots of neophytes come and say, how do I get to work with you, uh, Mr. Gold? How do I get a job? What do you do about people like that? How do you even train one out of a thousand? Well, it, it's a very difficult uh, 
subject to discuss briefly. People do ask me quite often, how do I start? How do I become a picture composer, television composer? Of course, the first prerequisite is that you're a good composer to start with. If you don't know music, if you're not perfectly at ease writing for orchestra and making the music do anything you want it to do, you will have a very tough time in the uh, media of pictures or television because there's little time and the demands are uh, very exacting and there's a lot of competition from people who have years of experience. So they should start within their little small community to learn everything that they can. They should first of all get a thorough training in music. They should certainly know all there is to know about composition and preferably about conducting. They must know orchestration, they must know harmony, they must be thoroughly schooled and well-trained musicians. And it doesn't matter if it's in the pop field. It doesn't matter what field it is, as long as they really know the particular field that interests them the most. Is it better if they play? Uh, it, it is a help because, uh, for instance, one friend of mine who has become a very fine motion picture composer, Jerry Freed, made a living when he first came here and waited for a break by playing the oboe in the orchestra and doing very beautifully and very fine. And so he, he could observe what other composers and conductors did right from the orchestra, from the inside, as it were, which is marvelous training. Well, many people get started by first uh, becoming assistants to composers because it happens to all of us that we are composing under great pressure and suddenly we find we have five days left in which to do eight days' work. So we ask somebody perhaps to help us with the orchestration or to uh, even write a little music cue here or there for us if we tell them more or less the way it should be done. That way they acquire the routine and experience and they become known in the music circles and to the musical directors or directors and producers. And sooner or later, probably somebody breaks a leg and they get to go on. <laughs> Ernest, I was curious about one thing. You basically go for the theme of the motion picture. Is, is this right? There is basically the theme. Now, are there two uh, fields of composing for motion pictures, such as completely background music? And is there another field where it's composing the theme? Well, I would say that actually it is not that it is not that cut and dried. I think that there are some scores which I like to call thematic scores. In other words, I would say a score like that for Mondo Cane or for that matter that of Exodus essentially revolves around a theme. You write a theme which is going to be recognizable and which will have a strong musical physiognomy which people can remember and then the score will be more or less consisting of uh, various uh, versions of that theme uh, bent to the particular need of each scene. Mm -hmm. But there are other kinds of scores. There are, for instance, scores which are called color and texture, where there is no theme that you can whistle going out or uh, which can be recorded commercially or sung with lyrics. But it's a score where you create moods by uh, different sounds of the orchestra. Ernest, do you write with the idea in mind, as I understand some composers do, hoping that the public will whistle the theme and it will perhaps become a hit song? My feeling is that whatever is right for the picture is the type of score that ought to be written. In some instances, if it is a thematic score, naturally I like to write a theme which will have a life of its own away from the picture. If I feel that the picture is better served by a score of a different character, for instance a jazz score or uh, what I call a textures and sounds score, then I deliberately avoid uh, the theme approach and probably make the a producer angry who hopes for a good hook to ha hang his exploitation on, but I always make it very clear in the beginning the way I feel so that uh, there's no disappointment then. 
Do you have a favorite composer? Yes, I must say I'm tremendously fascinated and have been practically all my life by the music of Wagner. I knew you were going to say Wagner, but I knew it. <laughs> having heard Exodus. I believe that uh, this man's music, uh, th the more you look into it and the more you analyze it, you just never get to the point where you say, here he made a mistake, here it's the wrong chord progression, or here he goofed off. It's uh, in its way, I mean, you can either accept it or not accept it, but in its own way, it comes probably as close to fulfilling its own potential as anything I know. I also must say I love certain Italian composers. I love Puccini. I love Richard Strauss, I love Bach, I love Mozart, I love most music. <laughs> <laughs> Ernest, where does your inspiration come from? I wish I knew, because I could probably go there more often. <laughs> it's a little town he has, it's called Inspiration <laughs> California. Uh, you know, I'm always reminded of this marvelous <coughs> story about Tchaikovsky, who was asked where his inspiration comes from. He says he didn't know, but he was always at his piano every morning at 9 o'clock, and this inspiration has learned to be there punctually. Oh, that's a wonderful <laughs> answer, and it's just about the truth, isn't it? It is, it is the truth. You have to apply yourself. I think you have to apply yourself. I, I am what I like to call a 9 to 5 composer, which perhaps is not quite as pedestrian as it sounds. But I get up early in the morning, I go up to my studio, and I work. And sometimes it is more inspired, and sometimes it's less inspired. But you can sit around for months waiting for inspiration, and the inspiration probably waits for you to make yes. the first move. Do but you I, ever get any, uh, excuse me, Gary? Uh, well, let me go. <laughs> but I heard that, 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 that although you say 9 to 5, I heard you compose Exodus at 6.30 in the evening. Ah, <laughs> yeah, I, that's when you heard it played. Yeah. Uh, do you ever dream and get inspiration from your dreams? Well, I have found that when I'm working on a piece of music, I get ideas faster than I do when I'm involved in other activities. And so I keep little music pads in my car and next to my bed in any place. And many people have honked at me because I was jotting something down <laughs> instead of driving yes. when the light turned green. I understand, Ernest, that you think there are not enough real love songs today. And I agree now, but you uh, go ahead with it. Well, uh, I have a whole great big fat folder full of good love themes, which I would love to have a chance to use someplace. But it seems that love has become a very embarrassing word for people, and uh, who knows, maybe it's becoming an embarrassing state to be in. To show that much emotion, yes. you mean? Uh, yes. I find that I would love to do a picture, like some of the good old Betty Davis pictures, you know, where women cry and the orchestra saws away. Well, you certainly not only, should, because I don't think they're out of vogue at all. I just think someone hasn't stepped up and done them again. I think they're really ready for them. Not only women, but myself. We ran a picture at the house the other day that Mr. Sam Golden was nice enough to let us run, mm -hmm. which he has uh, one of the great Golden films, The Best Years of Our Lives, with Frederick March and Don Andrews and Remember yes. that? Made right after the sure. war. And I, uh, you know, I'm very emotional. I cry at green hats. Yeah. And I just, this picture had me gone, and it's the theme. There's plenty of love song themes within so that. So don't, don't give up with your love songs. No, no just keep them in the trunk, because I think they're coming back. What is your favorite love song? I couldn't really tell you. I must say that I am somewhat partial, I must admit, to I want to hold your hand as done by the Beatles. <laughs> Oh, that's oh, wonderful. Isn't that cute? And Jack Benny's <laughs> is love and bloom. And ours is make someone happy, and that's what you've done with my listeners. You've been a delightful guest. Thank you so much. Thank you. Goodbye. Are you loving Let's Talk to Lucy? Then you have a real treat in store for you. A new episode is being released every week on the SXM app and wherever you listen to podcasts.